Parker, get in my office. Where are all these pictures about this pizza rat? I need more pictures of Spider-Man. The man's a menace. This pizza rat is a hero to New Yorkers everywhere. You give me more photos of this Spider-Man or you're fired. You know what you need to do? You need to go listen to Amazing Spider Talk. They know what's going on over there. Mark and Dan have the scoop. I gotta hire them. I don't even know why I keep your dumb ass around here. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. Be in 1962, last Wednesday's afternoon, they'll bend your ears with reckless self abandon. The amazing spider talk, the amazing spider talk. Come swing through the air, sit back and prepare for the amazing spider. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com and an editorial assistant at CBR. Wow, that's a new little addition to that intro, isn't that, Dan? It is. It is new as of last week. Uh, well, congratulations, Dan. Uh, and I'm Mark Giannacchio. I'm founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com with no affiliation with CBR. Uh, that's fine, too. It, it <laughs> well, you know, frees you up, and now you're not like part of the big big man comic. Yeah, I'm not part of the comic book media machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as always, everybody, thanks for joining us for a special Spider Talk and their Amazing Friends episode of our Amazing Spider Talk show. We hope you enjoy this particular podcast. Well, I guess in all of our podcasts. But we hope that this one provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and our guest as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Yeah, and we got a fun one today, Dan. We're being joined by uh, Matt Little, who uh, is speaking to us primarily wearing his critic hat. He's a critic over uh, from CBR, uh, who recently ignited a little bit of controversy in their forums when uh, responding to some feedback he received from one of his reviews. But uh, larger than that, Matt is a, a comedian, a writer, and you might have heard of a little viral video he did that broke the internet a few months ago called Pizza Rat. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when this interview starts off, it's going to sound kind of X-Men heavy because he was reviewing an X-Men comic. But I promise you, if you stick through it, it opens up to a broader discussion about comic book criticism. And then we get around to everybody's favorite Spider-Man for a while there at the end. So, you know, if it might not seem very Spider-Man specific at the beginning, hang in there. I promise you this is a great conversation worth listening to. Well, Dan, I'll hang in in large part because, you know, I was there for the interview. Awesome. Well, great. Let's listen to the interview. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar.
Okay, Dan. Well, we're joined here by uh, Matt Little, uh, a, a comedian, a writer, uh, a internet breaker, uh, a jack of all trades. But what well, he's here today because uh, we want to ask him a little bit about uh, a recent discussion that came up on one of the comicbookresources.com forums uh, regarding a review he wrote for Extraordinary X-Men. Um, Matt, you know, this... I'm going to kind of sum up and then I'm going to ask you to sum up. I mean, basically, uh, what we were talking about here, there was a, a, a you had given a review for Extraordinary X-Men number one. It didn't have a particularly good star rating, uh, which I guess kind of caused a little bit of uh, unease within the comment section of that. And, and then you kind of address that and, and, and to use your own words, kind of peel back the curtain a little bit. So, so just explain, I guess, what exactly happened here uh and that kind of led to this larger discussion about uh comic book reviews uh in this forum well uh first thanks for having me guys uh really excited to be here um i wrote this review of extraordinary x-men and um so the thing is i am an x-men fan i've been an x-men fan since i was a kid um is if spider-man's my jam then x-men is my peanut butter? I don't know. A terrible metaphor. I call Does myself. Does that mean it's better than jam or it's, it's worse well, than jam? I think it just means it has more protein than jam. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. 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 Both are great on bread. Um, I'm already losing my way here. Uh, so <laughs> I, um, you know, part of part of the job of reviewing comics for CBR is at least is how I see it. You know, is using it as an opportunity to check out books that have some hype around them, books that I may not be picking up regularly. Uh, if there's a new direction to something, I want to check it out, especially if it's something that I've uh, cared about in the past, right? So I picked up Extraordinary X-Men because as Marvel has been explaining in their, you know, PR stuff, this is this is the, the um, tentpole book for the entire X franchise, right? So this is what's going to tell me what what the entire line is going to be like right and what i read was just really dark and really um depressing and i i loved the, uh bendis's ending of uncanny x-men in 600 i thought having cyclops be the first person to find a non-violent means to attempt to achieve his surrogate father's dream was really inspiring. And even if it was a little hokey, I thought it was the, the freshest thing that I'd seen in an X book in a very long time. And then literally the same day that that's released, extraordinary X-Men comes out and, you know, all semblance of hope is completely gone from the franchise. So I was, you know, I, I just felt exhausted by that. And I wrote a review and I, one thing is when I when I review comics, I also understand that, you know, these are people on the other end of these books that are all talented people. They have these jobs for a reason. And I've enjoyed their work on other books in the past. And I try to understand that and I try to find not everything as a piece of garbage and no comic book creator sets out to make a bad comic book. Um, this felt like... This felt like the X department had made a decision about where they want to go with the franchises, which is understandable. Um, 
And these were the people that they had slotted in to help them get to where they want to take those books and where they want to take them just doesn't seem like it's for me right now. And, um, and then I wrote that. And so I wrote a review and, um, and, and then, um, <laughs> the comment, the, the commenters on CBR, um, it took this review with the equivalency of me breaking into their house and beating up their dogs. Um, and I mean like, like putting brass knuckles on and beating up someone's <laughs> dog, not just like I grabbed its snout or something like I came in for blood. Um, you know a but, lot about beating up dogs. Well, you know, uh, if you're a freelancer, you have to find money in many different avenues. Um, I'm not saying I have, and I'm not saying I haven't. Um, I'm kidding. Just keep him away from Robbie Rodriguez's house, Dan. I mean, <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> keep me out of Robbie's kitchen. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, I jumped on the boards, um, and I saw that there was a lot – there were a lot of people that were upset about what my uh, opinions were on the book and like why I gave it – people were so fixated on the star rating. People were obsessed with the star rating and something that I've been trying to do lately um, – and, and this kind of stems out of other things that have been happening for me online recently is like you know engaging with the community of people that are engaging with your work. You know, not just not just the sort of old model of I put a piece out there and then I don't interact with the people. I, I thought, oh, these people are interacting and discussing something that I've made. Why don't I try to join the conversation? Um, and I tried to give them sort of a, a, a background of why I said what I said, why I felt how I felt and – I learned that I was trying to teach people that didn't ask to learn <laughs> mm. uh, and that I, uh, I stepped in and I was trying to talk to people and try to explain something that they didn't want explained. Um, I, I guess that was my, that was definitely a mistake on my part. I guess I was approaching it from the viewpoint that I always have when I read stuff online, which is like, Again, the same way that I read this book and tried to understand the people behind it, I read other things and I try to understand the people behind it. And that's what I was trying to do for the community at CBR and it just it, – it backfired spectacularly. <laughs> well, I thought you handled yourself well. I mean, oh, well, thank you. you. Know, I mean anytime I've ever tried to do the engage the people who engage in your stuff, like I, I, I think I last about as well as you did for like the first three responses and then I fly yeah. off like, no, <laughs> you're well, not listening. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean that's – you know, I – and again too, every time that I would try to reply to someone within that thread, I – Again, tried to consider the person on the other end of this response. This person said this stuff to me and like honestly, name calling to me is is hilarious. That is – I've never been upset by that because that is like – it takes no thought to make fun of someone, right? right. Um so that that never really affected me. When it when it didn't affect me is like when it when it started to become clear that that people were just repeating themselves and trying to repeat themselves more loud, uh, more loudly. And that was, that was kind of, um, deflating for me in the sense that like, 
you know, I was, uh, I was like, oh, okay. So these, these, these people aren't engaging with me the way that I'm engaging with them. Um, and eventually it did break down on their side to people insulting me and stuff. And it, it really just like makes them look bad rather than makes me look dumb, which is a shame because I think it's, we're all comics fans and I, I want to be able to like go on and even if I disagree with someone about a book, I don't think that they're like a piece of trash because we have differing opinions about art. Like you don't like, I don't know anybody that goes to the MoMA and looks at a Pollock painting and says like, I don't get it. And someone else says, I do get it. And then they turn to him and say, well, that's because you're garbage and your mom raised you in a trash can. You know, uh, <laughs> if that does happen, I've never been there when it does. Uh, but there's just something about um, – and I think especially about the X-Men franchise right now that makes uh, that makes the fans extra sensitive. And I was trying to explain too, like it doesn't matter what my opinion of the X-Men is. And you guys can let Rich Johnston um, – terrify you into thinking that the X-Men are going to be canceled, but they're never going to get canceled. Like, even if like Fox, no matter what Fox does, um, the X-Men are going to be around. That's just a fact. The fantastic four have gone away because the fantastic four never really sold for Marvel. Even when they put a mate, like they put Mark Miller and Brian Hitch on the fantastic four years ago and this was when Hitch and Miller were at the peak of their powers and that book still couldn't break six figures like it couldn't even get into the top 10 with those guys like enough that I like enough that they didn't even finish their run because I'm guessing Marvel was dumping the money into it and the profitability there just wasn't didn't exist anymore you know so if if that's happening with with like the biggest creators in the industry on the book, you know, then yeah, I sort of do understand they can do that with the fantastic four. Um, but the X-Men, the X-Men print money and they always will. And I, and no one wanted to hear that. So no one wants to hear that they are right. And even if I'm saying I'm wrong, they're still saying, no, you're wrong for this reason. And it's like, well, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Matt, your your experience in this forum sounds like, at least I imagine it's my experience of almost the entire internet. Um, you know, we're in <laughs> we're in politics season, so that's amped up to oh, you know sure, yeah. eleven. Um, but one of the things, like you know, I don't we don't I mean we don't have a forum on our site because I typically think it's where things go to fester and get negative. Um, but I am curious because, you know, we we review Amazing Spider-Man comics on our podcast and on our site, and we use review scores. And, um, you know, it's something I've always been very uncomfortable with because I'm always like looking back, is my review I'm writing now, how does that compare to what I wrote before? Is that number valid? And one of the things that I think really ignited this conversation and why we're kind of having you here today is – that you gave your review, which was seemed in reading it somewhat positive, a one star out of five uh, review. And you kind of said your reason was to gain attention from it. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong in doing that, but I'm curious how you feel about review scores in general and also about um, 
the community of uh, comic book criticism as a critic. I mean, I guess all of us here write comic book criticism. Uh, I'd love to just talk about the state of comic book criticism. Yeah, for sure. Um, so which, uh, which part would you like to start with? Yeah, first? let's start first with this specific example about talk to us about your one star review and mm-hmm. I guess your your thoughts behind doing something like that because it didn't seem to match up with your text. And I, it seems like you admitted that that was intentional. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and, – and I don't think I did a 100 percent a good job of explaining this on my end as well in the uh, in the thread. At a certain point, I just gave up on the thread because I knew that it was – you can start to hear the echo of a, yeah. uh, of a message board at a certain point. Um, when I what I had written on there was that I don't really use the stars and and I technically don't um, I I don't really ca- and I know that like anybody could point and and yell at me for saying this but I, I I love talking about comic books but I don't quite understand the quantification of art in that sense um, I it, because it's such a subjective medium. To me, what matters the most whenever I'm writing is the writing itself and every piece in my head as I'm writing has to – I want it to stand up to the last piece that I wrote. I want to be a better writer every time. I I don't want to be – I'm not interested in being a better scorer. Um, For me, that's like – you know, like like – creating uh, like that's the box score from a baseball game to me you know uh, uh, and so i've struggled at times with what the what the star means to me um sometimes in this case specifically this was a combination of me feeling very deflated when i put that book down that felt like a one star book to me and that's what it was it was that was how i felt about the book and again, yeah, I I had positive things to say about it because I think that Jeff Lemire as a writer is a phenomenal writer. Um, I think that Umberto Ramos as an artist, I've been a fan of his um, going, you know, all the way back to when his like impulse, when everyone had shoes the size of their heads. Uh, and um so I love I love these guys and I've I've loved watching their evolutions and and again too I don't like no one sets out to make a comic book that that's crap no one sets out to make crap art at all um, and I wanted to recognize the effort behind it um, but ultimately the effort behind it like exhausted me and made me sad in a in not in the way that connected me to the book it, it, in a way that um, made me like physically exhausted. Like I was like, God, here we go again, just, uh, shitting on these characters. And I understand the idea of, of overcoming great obstacles, right? I, I understand that as, as a narrative, as a narrative piece, but here it just, it just felt like we were we had we had approached uh, an interesting and possibly fresh take on the franchise with this with this idea of nonviolence, and then we immediately go back to um, and and also 
Also, it was the character that everyone for all of Bendis's run was saying was a complete a-hole and was totally wrong about everything. And here he is, the only one with a nonviolent answer to, uh, to, to Charles Xavier's dream. And then everyone who was telling him that he was wrong is now reacting violently to everything around them. And it's Storm reacting violently to everything around her. I mean, clearly I have opinions about these characters, but, um, but you know, ultimately it, it looks like my, how I feel about the franchise isn't the direction that they want to go in, but the direction they want to go in makes me feel like it's a one star book. Um, because that to me, they told me with all of their PR and everything that this is, this is the flagship title. Extraordinary X-Men is the, uh, is the banner on the sail of the boat that is the X franchise. And I went into it thinking, okay, you've told me that this is, this is the, these are the train tracks. So where is it leading me? And ultimately I looked at where it's going and I said, no, thanks. I don't think I got the idea of that making me feel that way. I don't think I got that across anywhere before, uh, that that's been, that's been sort of online. Um, and the other thing is, yeah, the, the headline as well, there's no headlines for the reviews on CBR. Um, and the way that the, the way that the page is laid out is very, uh, it's, it's very busy, you know, and I'm not saying that that's anybody's fault. I'm not, uh, uh, I'm just, I'm just looking, I'm just trying to look at it objectively. You know, there's a lot of comic books that get reviewed every week and we're all fighting. We're not fighting, but we're all struggling for real estate and page views. I'm a writer. I want people to read my work. If I wasn't, I would just be writing these reviews and then shutting my computer and not publishing them. Um, and this was, I felt strongly enough that I wanted a dialogue to happen about this book. Um, and the other thing is, uh, that everyone in the thread ignored is that now the way that search engines work and the way that the way that the internet works, um, I wrote maybe 600 words in a review that people also said was fairly positive. Uh, but um, beyond that, there are now several pages of reactions that are all positive, which means that when someone searches for this book, they're going to see the overwhelming positive response and not the one negative piece of feedback that there was. They've outweighed me. Um, and the way that they outweighed me was reacting to the thing that I wrote. Um, ultimately that means that my voice is in the minority and their voice is in the majority. And I'm not offended by that. Um, I, 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 I think looking at it from, a, a an objective and sort of business perspective, like the, the, Marvel was able to generate a bunch of free positive publicity for themselves from what was my exhausted and uninterested opinion. I think there's also this kind of uh, sense amongst people that read things on CBR or any of these other fan sites that we're all making money doing this, you know, like yeah. that because your review maybe didn't line up with 
what they imagine that star rating equates to. And, yeah. you know, and I get, I get some of the outrage, like, um, you know, they clicked on it thinking it was going to be a review where you destroyed this comic and maybe they didn't get that. And right. And I'm never out for blood. I'm not out right. for blood and, when and I write, unless it's a as... Rob Liefeld book. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they see you as this professional critic in their mind. So they're saying, why does this guy get to do this? And then, you know, give it this review score. But I guess maybe like maybe it'd be good for us to kind of demystify what it is that we do because we're not really yeah. being paid to do any of this. I mean, I know personally for Mark and I, we pay money to to, to do our stuff. You know, yeah. Sure well, you know what's you. interesting? What's interesting to me about that too, and I and I was trying to gain some insight about this on the on the thread itself too. Is like everyone suddenly gives all this weight to my opinion. But none of them even bothered to look at what my name was, you know. Like that, there's something. There's a disconnect there to me that I don't quite understand. Um, because if I disagree with a piece on like the New York Times, I look at the name of the person that wrote it. Because that's how writing works. It's not a website that just generates – it's not a robot that just like randomly generated these words. Um, and there – no one could – like someone insulted me and then insulted the, the way that the page is built when I like pushed them on it. I was like, you keep telling me I have all this authority in your life, yet you can't even be bothered to remember my name. I like – can you explain to me – please explain that to me because I want to understand like how, how that works in your head because it doesn't, it doesn't yet scan in mine. No, I was just going to say, I mean this idea of the review having influence is something and, – and you addressed this a, a lot I felt in the comments. Not even just with the, with the – you know, not even acknowledging your name but just like – I mean like the, the broader thing of – I mean – Dan and I write reviews and, 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 you know, I feel like a lot of times we're either preaching to the choir or people who are going to go out and buy the book and read the book and they disagree with us. They're still going to go out and buy the book and read the book tomorrow, you know, like, like, so, so it's kind of like, not to sound like a bunch of nihilists here, but what, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, what, 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 like, like, is it, we're not really influential are we? I mean, what's your, what's your take? I mean, as someone who does this for a larger site, I think that the only the only effect that a review ever has is a positive effect. I think that people have formed their opinions on whether or not they're going to buy something before they even open a review. The only time that a review could possibly negatively affect, and this is just my opinion. I think the only time a review negatively affects sales on a book is when it is uh, a middling review. When the writer is and, – and even then I don't think that it's true. Um, but when someone, when someone puts down a book and even when I put down a book and I, I struggle, I, like, I didn't feel anything. I wasn't affected by the book. Um, things just sort of happened. Um, and it's it's sort of like the equivalent, like the reading equivalent of a, a subway car ride. Like I got on the subway, I absentmindedly went to my uh, my destination stop, and I got out. And if 
you, you know, there, there was absolutely nothing that happened in my life except for the time I spent on a subway car for those 15 minutes, you know, um, I don't think negative reviews negatively affect sales unless they are compounded. Like, I don't think a single negative review of one book affects sales negatively. I think that it causes people to check the book out. If not, if anything, you know, like you look at if, if negative sales negatively affected books, um, and I'm not saying this to like dump on a guy, but uh, cause well, he's a millionaire, he's doing fine. Like Rob Liefeld would never have a, a single, a single book published. No one would buy a Rob Liefeld book. Cause uh, look at every review of his books. Um, they're like always what, like, what's that? I was gonna say, even with like dark Knight three, I mean like yeah. leading up to that, it was like, you know, I mean, dark Knight two was so terrible, yeah. <laughs> but, but it was still, I mean, I'm sure that book, I don't, I don't know the sales are in yet, but I'm sure that book sold six figures. Oh, that, that book's going to be gangbusters. It's everyone wants to say, I think, I think what happens is a lot of it's driven by fear. Um, I think that we as comic book fans engage very passionately with these characters um, and some to a point that they, they take it personally. They, they take it there. What they read when they read a negative review of like extraordinary X-Men isn't the X-Men were bad. It's you're bad. They, they read it because they, 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 this, it's such a big part of their life that when when uh when i say like this made me feel terrible and i don't want to read this again what they're reading is you're a terrible person and you're terrible for liking this book and that's not true um and and you can't you can't change someone's mind and you can't change someone's opinion from that um i think positive reviews though can also help a book uh, but again, I think compounded across several months. Um, it didn't save uh, superior foes of Spider-Man. Yeah, that's the thing. I that was my favorite. That was one of my favorite books. I when so I do almost everything digitally, and Wednesday mornings when Comicsology refreshes my subscriptions and emails me, the first thing I would do is open up Superior Foes when it showed up. Um, and it was consistently the funniest and, uh, most refreshing book that Marvel published. Uh, Steve Lieber's art was phenomenal and quirky and it had character to it and found a way to be three dimensional in with, with some of the most two dimensional art, like his, his art is, is very car he's a cartooner in a way where like a lot of these guys are, are renderers, you know? Um, but still his characters felt so much more three dimensional than, than a lot of rendering artists. And, you know, it still got canceled after like, what was it? Did it make last 17, 17? Yeah. Yeah. 17 issues. Um, people are going to buy what they want to buy, uh, regardless of other people's opinions. And I, and honestly, I think that's great. 
I think that's great. Uh, it's a bummer when the gems, the gems kind of get washed away with the tide. Uh, and, and it's a bummer when like the offal sticks around, but what, what do you do? I think you're right on a macro level, but I think, you know, as someone who wanted to be like a, a film critic, you know, mm-hmm. as a professional and is working to head down that path, um, you know, I hear all this talk about like um, how, you know, there's so much film criticism out there and you can't get paid to do it anymore. And I think that the audience for criticism, even with the Internet, it's still the same group of people that really care about criticism, and it's still a small niche thing. So a lot of people like Rotten Tomatoes now, but people that actually read criticism and are influenced by it is still a small number of people. So I think on a macro level, you're right, but I think there are like a, maybe a handful of people, probably more than a handful, but there are there is a small group of people that are tuned into this community that can be affected by a review. I mean, I know personally I've been affected by negative reviews when I see a book that I'm like, oh, maybe I'll check that book out. And then I see negative reviews of it. I go, maybe not. Like I bought Vision this week because I saw positive reviews of it, you know, and I didn't didn't pick up Dark Knight 3 because I saw mixed reviews on it. That's fair. That's fair. And I think you're right too. Um, And I might be, I've been kind of looking at this uh, on on a larger scale. Um, there is definitely a community of people that, that love review culture. Um, and I'm someone who always reads reviews. I, I love it, but it, it's never, and and maybe I am speaking just from my own experience. Uh, I've definitely picked up books that had really poor reviews only for like the, the, out of the rubberneck factor, Mm. you know, of like, oh my God, they like, like I bought Ultimates three, I got up out of my seat at work, <laughs> went to lunch so I could go buy Ultimates three after I read a review of it because I was like, "This sounds like a train wreck," and I laughed the whole way through every single issue of that series. Well, you're a strange, like masochistic person. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. And that's fair. That's very, you know, um, you were, you were talking about film criticism too. And it's very interesting because, um, like, and I think a lot of my thoughts about the quantitative nature of reviewing against art, like comes from Roger Ebert's ideas on the subject as well. Someone who had said, I think he said the only, the only review, the only rating system that he ever really uh, subscribed to was like the San Francisco Chronicle or something, um, which had a uh, which had like a, a a caricature of a person sitting in a theater seat, and they were either like bored or excited or getting up to leave. <laughs> and that's those are those were what they that was how they give you the TLDR. And he broke it down even further, or even further to just a binary thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah, and he actually he said he's said in in interviews and stuff that like he wanted to get rid of the thumbs up and thumbs down, and it was it was Siskel that that continued to use that, and because it was such like a shorthand metric, um, the the paper loved it, and he became synonymous with it 
where he was much more interested in having people take a look at the piece itself and actually review his opinions of what he saw at large. Um, and I really, there's, there's something about that. Maybe it's, maybe it's, he and I both just have egos about our, uh, our skills as writers or our desire to have other people read our writing. But, um, how do you, what do you guys think about that? About what Uh specifically? I mean, about, uh, about like scores and stuff like that. Do you, do you struggle with that part of it? Do you feel like it's a necessary, uh, component? Uh, would you do away with it if you could? Let me let me jump in on this because I have a I have a personal thing with this because you know when I was doing new Spider-Man issue reviews and I even like hesitated calling them reviews at my old site Chasing Amazing. Yes. I mean they weren't really reviews; they were just kind of like reflections on the comic. And you know, like I used to yeah. drive people crazy who were I think going into the article expecting a review because. You know, I would give, I would unabashedly give spoilers and talk about this because it wasn't so, it was, it was, I want to talk about this comic and how this comic made me feel. And you're more than welcome to engage in that discussion with me. That was how I viewed it. And when I came over to, you know, to Dan's site with Superior Aspire Talk, I mean, you know, and Dan and I have had this conversation offline. I mean, one of the toughest things for me was to kind of adapt a more formal review style with a grade at the end. And then, and Dan and I still have these conversations where like, he'll look at something that I've written. He's like, oh, wow, you, 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 you sound positive. And it's like, oh, but your actual grade doesn't necessarily, uh, coincide with what you wrote. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. cause I, I, I just have a hard time with it. I'm, Dan, I love you, so I'm willing to do it. But <laughs> <laughs> and let me but, speak. Let me speak as an editor about this. Um, but but yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> is that most of our traffic for those reviews comes through uh, like the review aggregate sites, like Comic Book Roundup, and so you know if if that wasn't the case, I would say screw the review score, you know. But putting that score on it gets it into their system. And then brings us to an audience that would never have read our reviews. And I'll tell you a funny story about that is our number one most read piece on our site, other than Mark, your um, uh, one more day, uh, light defense of one more day, uh, (laughs) which will go down in infamy. Um, But – and for those who have read that, realize that – I'm making it sound more polite on one more day than than Mark actually is, but <laughs> uh, uh, is a review. Our, our number our number two largest article on the site is for a review of Ultimate End number one, and it's one of the I think it is the lowest review score we've given on the site a two out of ten, um, and I have to think that the I mean there's a number of reasons why I think that that review is one of the most checked out things on our site. And one of them will open up a whole other topic for us to discuss. But uh, firstly, I think people read that for catharsis because ultimate end has been garbage. Um, And they saw that too. And they were like, that's exactly how I feel. Um, But the other point is, I don't think that like you go on comic book roundup. It is challenging to find a book that, 
review scores lower than a six out of ten. Um, and I think people just like critics, you know, if and if we can call a lot of these people reviewing these things critics, um, I mean, everybody's a critic, right? But um, you know, a lot of this is uh, these reviews are being approached as like a fan, and people don't want to dislike something that they bought. Um, yeah, and so they want to read positive things about it and an affirmation that their purchase was worthwhile. Um, and, and yet still, I think if you're really negative, it could stand out, which is why maybe your review got a lot of attention. Um, I think you're right too. And honestly, like the, the, with that review too, a lot of people started kicking around the term clickbait and I might've even used it at first. And I, used it like in jest like right because i like i wrote i wrote after it like oh how gross right um i'm aware like i've been a writer i've been a writer all my life you know whether or not i was paid for it or not and i've been watching i've been watching how people interact with reviews and things like that all my life i knew that i knew that putting this up the way that i put it up was going to get Attention! I didn't realize that it was going to create it the way that it did because you can't ever expect. But I had a, I had a theory. I had a theory, and it kind of panned out. My theory was was sort of backed up in reality by the fact that this is this is also like one of the most uh, uh, interacted with uh, reviews that I've ever done for CBR in terms of that side as well. Um, it stood out immediately. Because the site itself is like a grid system of comics with tiny, with like tiny stars to be the only thing that can show you what you're going to read about in there, right? And um, that might as well be the title of your piece. Is one exactly star. yes, and that they, like that was something else that I that I was trying to explain is like we don't get a title, we don't get a title to tell you what we felt about this book. Uh, this is, this is the only, this is the shorthand that we get to show you. Right. And, and I have to do with that something to, uh, to, to engage with you in a way that will hopefully have you open this review up and, and discuss this book or make you say, you know what, this guy's an idiot. I'm going to buy this and check it out for myself. Or how dare this guy, you know, talk about storm this way i'm going to tell people why this book is awesome um you know maybe i'm maybe i'm uh, too optimistic in that sense but uh there there's definitely shoot i've lost my own thread <laughs> um i i think in the in the end um it's it's a difficult balance to to try to be objective about something that you have had to pay for because you've already you've already started to form your opinion before you even open the cover because you paid for it, whether you realize you have or not. And it's, it's a hard, 
it's a hard sort of thing to, to, to break yourself out of. And I think you're right. Um, a lot of people don't realize that it's mostly fans writing about comics and they want to feel justified that they spent money on a book. And I don't, I don't blame them. It's you not know? like Marvel sends us review copies. It's not even a, a practice that they have for somebody like CBR. Yeah, it's, it's very – I will say it does happen from time to time, but it's so very rare. Um, and it, it will come in weird fits and starts, and it mostly only happens when they have a publishing initiative. Uh, and it's for a single issue, right? After that, uh, you have to continue. Like I paid – I had to pay for both of those extraordinary X-Men books. Um, I do get paid to review books at CBR, but it's – when you look at it comparatively to other industries – um, and you guys, and, and I mean, you guys write yours for free, um, comparatively in other industries for the amount of words that I write every week about comic books, I'm paid, I'm paid an exorbitantly lower amount of like, I'm, I I've talked to freelancing friends about this, especially after this came out, because I was very curious about like what people's rates were for writing. And I talked to a bunch of my friends in New York and they all make off of one piece off of one, like 600 word piece, which is like what I try to average. Um, they make more than I do. They make more for one of those almost double than what I make for all three of the reviews I write every week. So I'm writing 1800 words to make half of what they're making for 600 words. Right. And, um, clearly I do it because I love comics. Like, and on top of that, I'm paying for these books. So I'm already cutting into my profit margin. The moment I decide to review a book, you know, like, uh, uh, and, and that is, there's like, clearly I'm, I'm writing about this stuff because I'm, one crazy and two like passionate about the medium, you know, and it's, it's, uh, uh, difficult to like talk to someone and say, no, listen, I like, I'm not, I'm not in an ivory tower somewhere. Like there's no, there's no CBR. There's, there's no CBR crystal ship that that I sail in on and you know swing down off of on the golden flaxen hair of the most beautiful woman you've ever seen like there's no glory in these pieces that we're writing you know but again I think it comes down to the personal nature of the the fans engagement with the product that they think that um that they're coming to the site and they're reading these opinions uh, and and they have decided to give a, a, a certain weight to them, um, whether we've done that for ourselves or not. And I think that they build they build a story in their own head about it of like, oh, well, this guy gets paid to do it, so he's just like sitting on a mountain of cash, shitting on my face, shitting on my girlfriend that I love more than anything, which is this comic book. And you certainly paint a picture. You know, well, I, I'm just I, – I, I really want to, like, understand – you know, I'm, 
I'm the the childlike beyonder in the sense that I I really seek to understand both sides of any situation like that. You know, um, I I want to understand why someone decides that the best way to interact with their disagreement of my opinion is to uh, call me a douchebag. Like what? Like. It's not the, the word isn't the word isn't the thing there. It, there's something else going on there. And what is that other thing that's going on? And how can I understand that and use that moving forward, not as like a tool against them, but as a way to approach my own work? Well, I apparently have what Dan personal websites dedicated to my my lighthearted defense of one more day. Yes, I've, <laughs> I I I relented. And I won't even look at it. You. That's. <laughs> In uh, pardon the pun, amazing. Yeah, there's a guy that went sentence by sentence through Mark's thing, figuring out how dumb Mark is. See, um, and that's that's so unnecessary too. Because Mark, you like what I loved specifically too about like chasing amazing was what you said earlier, and that's that you you were painting a, a picture of feeling with your pieces there about how you felt like how these books made you feel and. Maybe it's how I engage – like that is someone who's clearly clearly trying to quantify everything and, and understand the world through a quantitative lens. And that person is going to be out there. But I – the way I engage I think is a lot similar, Mark, to how you do in that when I read – when I, like I love Nathan Rabin as a writer and I love David Shoemaker as a writer uh, and I love Oliver Sava as a writer over at AV Club because what these guys do is they paint a picture of – of feeling about the book. And it's, it's like hanging out with that person and listening to what their opinions are of the book rather than a dry line by line, um, uh, 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 breakdown of like the, the line work, which is just as important, but I, you know, I love, I love that human element in, uh, in your writing. And that's, you know, and I think that's why I engaged so much with, with your entire quest too, is because, you know, the, the way that the Superman posters used to say, you will believe a man can fly. I, I would believe that this was this important to you, you know? Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, let's just gush on Mark. Cause we love, uh, stuff. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but, know what? Let's talk about Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that cool? <laughs> oh, oh my god, I would have done it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know, I so Matt, I'm assuming you're reading the new the new volume. Of, I am. Of, you know, so you know, this is I mean, Dan and I've talked about this on the show. I mean, this is probably one of the more dramatic status quo shifts that we've seen, you know, I mean, and this is a character that's had clones and and devil annulments and everything else but but i mean you know making you know making peter a success story and in charge of his own company everything it seems to have really polarized um readers in terms of is this spider-man is this not spider-man so i mean you know you're you're a fan you you also a critic so so what's what's your take on what you got going on right now? I mean, are you do you are you able to separate kind of like your fan hat from your critics hat in terms of what you think of what Spider Man's doing? Like, I mean, do you maybe have fan opinions, but then you know, thinking more critically, 
you know, you're focused more on, well, it's executed well or not well or whatever. I mean, I'm just curious, especially regarding this, this current status quo. Uh, I have a, I have a theory that I've been trying to work through actually. Um, and it's, it's something that I'm like curious about. I want to, I want to see a couple more issues of the rest of the line first, but to me, what it seems like is what's happening with the spider books is Marvel listened. And this is based absolutely on nothing. Um, it seems that like Marvel has listened to everyone saying Spider-Man, my Spider-Man is this and my Spider-Man is this and my Spider-Man is this. And they said, okay, we have several people with the same, with a similar power set. So we're going to make that book for each of you. Your Spider-Man is the Spider-Man in his early twenties struggling with an entry level job. Uh, here's silk. Um, your Spider-Man is a wisecracking teenager, uh, struggling to get through. Um, here's Spider-Man, which is coming out from Bendis. Um, you need your Spider-Man to be a teenager, but you also need him to be white. Here's Spidey. Um, that's a joke. Uh, (laughs) but not uh, really. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you, you want, uh, you want the, you want a Spider-Man that has, uh, familial ties and, uh, what happens when the responsibility is a family here is, uh, uh, here's Spider Woman, um, and I. This this is sort of just what I've sort of gleaned looking at the entire line so far. Um, with amazing, it is. I think you're right. I think it's the the biggest status quo change, even more so than like the Clone Saga, because you know you sort of plugged in Ben Riley. And Ben still had the same sort of it, it was the same sort of stories, but just a different hair color. Yeah. Um, Do you like your Spider-Man to be completely unlike Spider-Man? Well, here's a book for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I'm fascinated by this by this new direction in Amazing. And I think I might be in the minority in saying that I'm I'm very interested to see where it goes. I I. You, you're talking about personal relationships with characters as as someone who who truly truly loves spider-man i'm thrilled to finally see peter parker win um because i i i love him as a, as almost as a person so much that that here he is finally achieving success beyond his wildest dreams outside of the costume and then still finding a way to make the costume work for him there there are parts of it that that have been sloppy uh i think to me the biggest the biggest marvel no prize for me in marvel right now is if aunt may and jay jameson were in africa and spidey said it was a half hour in the the web jet with the rockets on full blast and he ejected mockingbird at that moment how did she get there so quickly? <laughs> How did she show up? I guess there could be a no prize explanation that off panel, Nick, she appealed to Nick Fury and Fury sent her some type of FTL jet or something. But that seemed like such like a big, like, like I was like, wait a minute. That is, that is near impossible. 
Um, My question was how Aunt May and uh, Jonah Sr. defended these solar panels for half an hour. That's yes. Thank you. That was that was the other thing, too, is (laughs) when he said it was a half an hour and we cut back to the action and they're still bombing in my head. I started going, Okay, how long is a half an hour? If this were happening in the moment, can, could you could you feasibly avoid could you feasibly avo- avoid like like a a carpet bombing situation for thirty minutes? Where are they going to go? Because the the established environment around them is very barren and it doesn't look like there's many places for them to go. Um, and giving the benefit of the doubt, see here I go being quantitative about this, but um, <laughs> it's. It, like there, there are little things like that that are. I just have to be like, okay, it's because comics. Um, but what I, what I'm, what I'm interested to see here is, um, it's been established that Peter Parker looked up to Tony Stark in a way um, years ago. They they'd established that, and here he is now taking that sort of entrepreneurial model and and this sort of startup model which is um which is also sort of like very zeitgeisty in the world at large today um everyone wants to say they have a startup now they don't have uh everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and this is sort of a this is sort of a take on spider-man that is addressing that that change in uh modern uh, modern culture Um, and I'm, uh, so as, again, as like a fan, I'm excited to see that, uh, as, as a critic, um, I think that one of the biggest, that, that one of the toughest things for a writer to do is get things like this right. I think Dan Slott has a huge challenge on his hands because he has turned uh he's turned Peter into a a Steve Jobs level uh uh success story and it's difficult to write and maybe this is maybe I'm a bad writer in that I can only write what I know but um it'll start to it, it, the cracks will show and it, it will start to feel false in ways uh, eventually if there's no real like sort of experience behind that. Like if you don't know, if you haven't gone through that, you may not know what it's like at that level. And we start to see like, uh, things, you know, in a world full of scientific make-em-ups, we might start to see emotional make-em-ups and that's my concern. Um, and I hope that I, I hope that the book can rise to that challenge. Um, Overall, uh, uh, overall, it feels dramatically different, um, and I think that if it ultimately isn't what I'm looking for, uh, I do have Spidey, and I do have Spider-Man, which I'm looking forward to. I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Like, I think I'm looking forward to that book more than any other book in the line. Yeah, I mean, me too. Uh, it can't come here soon enough. Uh, yeah, and Mark, I know, Mark, you've, I think both of you guys, right, you you don't necessarily care for this new direction, do you? I, you know, here's the thing, like, I, I, from a critical standpoint, don't 
mind it thus far. I mean, I, I, I started to see some of those cracks I feel in this most recent issue, but through the first three issues, I was like, all right, you know what? This is sound storytelling. And I feel like this is being executed well, what they're trying, what, 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 what's trying to be done here. But as a fan, it's, 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 it's difficult because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like strictly as a fan, I don't know if this is like, you know, you've, you've been alluding to, if this is the, the Spider-Man I want to be reading about right now, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 you know, I don't necessarily need Spider-Man to be, you know, pennies to his name and, you know, the eternal loser either, but you know, I just think back to the, you know, the, the happy medium days of, you know, Straczynski or Stern or, you know, J.M. DeMatteis or something like that. You know, I think that's where I where I come from, you know, like. Yes. For me, uh, it's the lack of internal monologue in this new series that really has kept me distant from it. Um, I think about my favorite Spider-Man properties. And it's the ones where we spend the most time in Peter's head. Even like Spider-Man, the animated series from the 90s, I think, you know, uh, uh, Daniel Bar- Christopher Daniel Barnes spent more time talking in Peter's internal monologues than he did externally. And I think that's what made that character work. And here we've explicitly got none of that. And I'm curious why that is, especially when we've had such a titanic change externally to the character I think it would help to have uh, some kind of internal consistency. Dan, I think that's a really, really great insight. Um, and you're right there. There has been uh, there has been a pullback on that. And what's interesting is because uh, you look at you look at uh, Slot's previous runs with the character. Um, even when Auk was Peter, we were still getting like a real time rundown of how like. Peter, Peter is the emotional through line for the reader. Mm. And when you take away that, like that emotional through line in that sense that like, oh, you're kind of through your monologue, you're guiding us on how we should probably feel about what is happening here. Um, But even when when his ghost was gone, we had the internal monologue of Ock to think about and compare to the internal monologue we've been getting for 50 years at that point. Yes. Yes. Um, that it is, just uh, seems an odd choice to not have it at all. Yeah. It, it, Especially um, with so much different, you know, <clears throat> as a, as a fan, do you, do you have a, do you have any idea? Do you have any theories as to like why they're going that way? I, re- I really don't. I mean, like I could see Dan slot pulling some like, it's not been Peter the whole time, and we kept you out of his head for that reason. But, you know, at this point, that would feel very cheap to me, um, mostly because, you know, I, I think the real pull of this series is the fact that it is Peter, you know, having these successes, you know. And and maybe for the first time, it might be a reflection on the superior Spider-Man area because, you know, Mark and I were very critical of Volume 3 for never reflecting back on – what actually happened in Superior Spider-Man, an intensely personal and internal story. I mean, like, the whole idea of that story was internal. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, do I think there's a reason? I I mean, at this point, I think it's just kind of sloppy writing, and I hate to say that I've soured that far on on Dan Slott, 
that like I don't think that he understands the character because I think he does. But um, you know, Volume Three really shook me up quite a bit in terms of how poor I thought it was in terms of how it understood how Spider-Man works as a character that like, I still give Dan Slott the benefit of the doubt, but um, if it was just like an, an accident on a mission, a mission, like by like, you know, a mission or whatever, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, that wouldn't surprise me. You know, I straight up just want to ask him on Twitter if that is what it is. Like, because that, that, I'm, I'm like obsessed with this idea now, Dan, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you've, you've taken the fact that we're out of his head and put it so like so forefront in my head. Um, I think you're right. I think if it's, I think if the reveal is that it's not Peter, like we just went through that and there, I, I think you're right too. There was a certain, uh, and it doesn't always have to be, uh, high stakes, but there was a certain weightlessness to volume three that almost felt like, um, like there wasn't a, like there wasn't a clear direction. Like they were almost just like spinning their wheels because they knew that something else was coming up next. And that might not be the case, but even if it is, we, as the readers still have to like, like we're still giving our money for, uh, for this book. And we want to be justified in, feeling that it is it, it's worth our purchase well in hindsight to me volume three is the launching pad for what you described earlier the spider-man for everybody i mean yeah. we got silk we had spider-verse which introduced all these new characters and we got the web warriors out of that to me that period <laughs> was like almost like dan slot bolstering his support with the editorial department saying like hey you know what i don't just i won't just run spider-man for you i can be a company man and give you you know, we'll do Batman with Spider-Man, you know, like we'll, we'll yeah. half of Marvel's line will be dominated by Spider-Man books. I mean, like, I don't know if Mar- Mark, you want to jump in on this, but like when I launched my site and I guess when you were covering reviewing books on your site, Mark, we thought, OK, there's like two or three amazing Spider-Man books in a month. That's easy enough to cover. And now our site covers almost half of Marvel's entire line. I mean, I have 15 people working on our site for us now. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, it's interesting too. Like the, is there, is, is there going to be a certain point? Do you think that, um, some, uh, do you think that at a certain point they begin to cannibalize their own audience? I don't know. I mean, the book is selling better than it has in a long time. And I think, you know, I think if you read any Spider-Man book, you read, Amazing Spider-Man as well, no matter you like it or not, because it determines the direction of the others. So yeah. you can't just buy one book anymore. You have to kind of be in for the whole suite of books or not, you know? And, and I think that's a smart marketing ploy because if you like the character, you don't want to miss out, you know? And, and you end up buying books. Like I, I, I'm going to go – you know, last week on the podcast, I did a rant, a brief rant about Spidey number one. Because they advertised it to us that it was an incontinuity book. So, you know, crazy incontinuity me said I have to buy Spidey even though it doesn't seem to be marketed directly towards me. Um, And I did. And, like, that was my fault because I read it and it definitely was an incontinuity. Um, And so they kind of wrap you around their fingers in this way. They can get you to buy things you didn't necessarily 
feel like buying because you're you're in for the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh that's when it that's when it starts. And I think too that's when it starts to feel maybe frustrating or or it's it's easy to get emotional then about it because you're right you you're investing you're investing in it and you're being told to invest in it in this way and then the final product isn't what they said it was going to be and that's what got mark and i i mean i don't want to speak for you mark but that's kind of what <laughs> got us to stop reading in the 90s is we couldn't keep up with it anymore. I mean, I can speak yeah. for myself on that regard. Oh no, absolutely. I mean, that was, you know, when it was the 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 weekly saga and then some because then they would do like a special one shot and then, you know, Spider-Man Unlimited and then uh <laughs> you know, he's he's appearing in uh with the the Secret Defenders with Ghost Rider and Wolverine. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you know, that's so when the when they were doing that in the nineties and when it was when everyone was sort of doing the triangle numbering system like Superman did, um uh when they first when they first started it, you know, right around the time that the uh that the clone saga kicked off, it it felt interesting or to me because I was you know, I was a teenager at the time, so I was just like, Yippee, it all makes it all means something. Um, but then you could, you could tell that they also burned themselves out doing that. Like at a certain point, there was no point for it to be that way. Um, do you, do you see that on the, possibly on the horizon for the way that the franchise is set up now? I don't think so. I think everybody kind of has their, you know, while they are operating within this umbrella, I think a lot of the books have been allowed to have their own kind of you know, autonomy. I mean, Spider Woman is doing this crazy pregnancy thing and Silk, you know, people who picked up Silk number one, Silk might as well have just ignored Secret Wars happening altogether. It was like, oh, here's the new dramatic status quo that she's a villain, except not really. She's just doing the same plot she was before. So I think yeah. there is still, you know, as much as I'm like being critical I also recognize that I think it's being better handled than it was in the 90s, where you really actually not everything is essential. Um, you know, you could not read Silk and be just fine. And the, the writer of Silk could, for the most part, ignore Amazing Spider-Man and tell his own tale. I think that's right. I think that's uh, – I like that. I like that take. All right, Matt. Well, well thank you so much for, for – you know, lending your insights to the show about comic criti- criticism and Spider-Man and X-Men and everything. I mean, where where else can we find your 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 goods on the internet? Um, Mark and Dan, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this has a hundred percent been a blast, and I probably would have just been having this conversation with my wall tonight, anyways. Uh, so it's <laughs> great to speak to other people about it. Um, you can find me online. Twitter is at the Matt Little. Um, Facebook is the Matt Little. Uh, I'm on uh, Snapchat as Matt Little. Uh, Instagram's Matt Little. Um, and my website is imattlittle.com. I'm also on YouTube, youtube.com slash Matt Little. Uh, I shot a video of a rat dragging pizza downstairs earlier this year, and uh, a, a lot of people saw that. Um, and then I also talk about comic books and make sketches on there sometimes. So. Okay. 
You know what? Tell us a little bit more about Pizza Rat, really briefly. I I just want to know more about this because we 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 haven't brought it up, but that's kind of like we're like hiding your most seen thing you've done at the very end here. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So I was uh, I was coming home from work late one night, and uh, my friend Pat and I were at the First Avenue L train station and. We were walking down the stairs and we both looked down and there's a rat dragging a large slice of pizza down the stairs. I turned to him and I said, I cannot believe this is happening. And he goes, oh, yeah, it is. And it took me like probably four seconds to process it and go, oh, I need to make video, make a video of this because if I just tell my friends that I saw this, they will never believe me. Um, so, you know, I took out my phone, I recorded it, and then the next morning I put it on Instagram and uh, I actually forgot that I even took it. And then I woke up and opened my photos and saw the video. And I went, oh, right. I'll put this on Instagram. And then it just, it literally, like, my roommate recommended I put it on YouTube right after that. And then I just took on a life of its own. It really uh, just, like, went off on its own? Like, what, what was that like, just seeing it? I mean, like, how long did it take? Uh, like, three hours. It's one of the most surreal experiences of my life. Um it was so I put it up at like noon, and then at about three p.m., the first email that made me go, "Wait, what's happening?" is uh, Time Magazine emailed me. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so I called my mom to tell her because she's heard of Time Magazine. She doesn't know what a BuzzFeed is, so uh, I told her. And as I was talking, I talked to her for five minutes, and I got thirty emails in five minutes, um, and then it just it went haywire for like the rest of the day. And then I was on, I was on TV a few times. I did some interviews, uh, and I was, I was producing a pilot at MTV at the time as well. And we were supposed to shoot the day after I put up pizza rat and I had to keep running off, like out of the soundstage to do radio interviews. I had to run uptown to CNN because they wanted to do a piece with me. Uh, and it was just, it was, it was a, an amazing whirlwind and it was a lot of fun to just kind of get caught up in that. Um, and you know, uh, people like, uh, Pete Davidson was even on the radio and, and called me an effing a hole, which I thought was just so funny <laughs> that like someone would get that worked up over this. Um, What's and the like, strangest question you've gotten about this? Because like they're they're bringing you on these shows, right? And mm -hmm. really, you just took a video of a rat dragging a pizza, which I mean is a monumental achievement. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but but I'm curious, like you know, because beyond that, then it's asking about who you are. But like, there's got to be someone that, like really wanted to dig into into this story. What's the strangest question that you've got? You got well. I when I talked to the New York Times, the reporter was seemed to be angling her questions, and this. So I I went to Penn State for journalism, so I always kind of have an ear for how questions are going in in any situation like this, and it seemed like she was trying to angle out of me that it was fake. And I thought that was so funny because 
it's clear that this is a real rat. And how could I possibly train a rodent to do exactly this? <laughs> and if I did, why would I just let that rodent run off into the night? <laughs> um, You've got this thing back in your apartment and you've been working on this for years. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, like, like, I don't know if you remember the subplot in Peter David's first run on X factor. There was a, there was a super villain in like the first six issues or so that would just have a page where he was trying to build this super suit to destroy mutants. And he's been holed up in a bunker for years doing this. And when he finally gets it outside, he forgets to waterproof it and is electrocuted in his own suit. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's that's what I've been doing is I've been in a bunker teaching a rat how to drag pizza. Commit myself to one thing and do it really well. <laughs> um, so that was that was, I think, the weirdest thing. Every all the other all the other lines of questioning to me have been absolutely hilarious. Just like because, again, you're right. It's. It's completely absurd. It is a, it is a a twenty second video of a rat dragging pizza downstairs. <laughs> so like technically, any question about it is the weirdest question I've gotten. Right there, there's a book here somewhere in that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All all I know is for like twenty four hours after the video hit, I, I I you know I kept seeing it everywhere, and I was like, oh god, more with the pizza rat, more with the pizza rat. And then all of a sudden, I saw like a vid cap of you. On like I, I guess the Today Show, you were on the Today Show, right? For this? Oh, it was uh, it, it was uh, Thomas Roberts MSNBC show. Okay, I mean, I I just saw something in my Facebook feed with you on TV and like with the caption under you know video videographer for Pizza Rat, and then all of a sudden I went from like totally disenchanted by Pizza Rat to like holy crap, this is Matt! Stop! This is amazing! <laughs> This is it's so much like life, right? <laughs> <laughs> so so thank you for 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 inspiring that man. <laughs> well, well thank you for watching. I I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thank oh. you for joining us, Matt, and for that great story. <laughs> awesome. Hey, guys, thanks again for having me. This was this was an absolute blast. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. All right, Dan. Well, I, I had a good time talking to Matt there, and and you know we 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 even got to finally acknowledge the uh, the eight hundred pound gorilla, or I guess the 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 pizza carrying rat in the room at the end. So uh, a little something for everybody, right? Yeah, I, I could talk to him for another hour about the pizza rat video and the subsequent like fallout, I guess, or I guess change to his life, you know, that comes with recording a rat. Uh, dragging an Italian dish through New York subway system. It's one of a kind, Dan. <laughs> well, of course, you guys, you can find all of our new amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And as always, if you do, please leave us a review. You know, I would love to get to 100 reviews before our 100th episode, and we're almost there. So go on and leave us a review. Yeah, and speaking of our 100th episode, Dan, uh, we're, we're imploring you listeners out there to call and leave us a voicemail at the, the wonderfully numbered phone number 9 Red Goblin. That's the number 9. 
and then spell out the letters on your pad. I think I think all phones have pads still. R R E D G O B L I N, and then we can include your audio message on our upcoming 100th episode, which is like three episodes away now. Yeah, um, this is the 97th episode, and and a little bit behind the curtain, we haven't gotten any voice messages yet. So please. Give us a call. Let us know how you discovered the show. Maybe a personal story about listening to the show. There's no pressure. Call in and tell us anything you want. Well, there's I mean, no, within reason. There's no pressure, but I could tell you right now that if we get to the next episode and we still don't have any voicemails, I'm going to start naming some of you by names because we know who you super fans are, and we're a little surprised that you haven't said anything yet. So just don't wait. Don't you want to be on the show? You can hear Come your on. voice on the show. This is this is the time. I mean, you know, the the, the retweets and the and the thumbs up on on Twitter, that's all well and good and the likes on the Facebook, but now it's time to call Nine Red Goblin. There's got to be a narcissist out there that wants to hear their own voice on our feed. That's Nine Red Goblin. That's how you do so. Absolutely. And also, be sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our sister podcast, The Ultimate Spin. Dan where can we find you on the interweb? Well, yes, you can find me all the same places. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Dan Gavazin or at Sup Spider Talk with all my Spider Man stuff, or I guess all of our wonderful Spider Man stuff at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com gets filtered through Twitter. And yeah, of course, you can find all of my writing and our contributors' writing at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And you can read all of my film reviews over at grindmyreels.com. How about you, Mark? Well, of course, we're, 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 we're still doing the countdown on superiorspidertalk.com. Mark's 12 Lost Gems of Christmas. Uh, there's partridges and pear trees and Clone Saga Lost Years and uh, some other little underrated gems from, the, from, from yesterday and today. That's so how that sure song went, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Five Ben Rileys in a smokestack. Um, anyway. Um, and then, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at ChasingASMblog. Well, Mark, speaking of going online and using social networking, you know, I was digging through my Yelp reviews this week, which I'm so fond of. You know what? You can follow me on Yelp if you want to know what restaurants I'm eating at and be kind of creepy about it. But Ooh, yes, I was sign digging, me up. <laughs> I was digging through my Yelp reviews, and I discovered actually that your uncle Ben, you know, when he was alive, he used to have a Yelp account where he spent most of his time yelling at Max Brenner restaurants in Manhattan. Why did your uncle have so much anger at the bald chocolatier? Yeah, well, you know, this was just a, a simple case of mistaken identity. I mean, it was Uncle Ben yelling at someone on the internet, but um, he he knew it was a, a bald person with a B last name. He actually thought he was yelling at Brian Michael Bendis for oh. giving him. Yeah, because he was not happy with uh, Bendis's uh, and Mark Bagley's interpretation of him with the ponytail during Ultimate Spider-Man. It's like, come on, what what are you making me a hippie now? So, you know, he was just unhappy with the Bendis stuff and then also didn't understand why, like, everything at Bendis's restaurant smelled like chocolate, including, like, the roast beef sandwich. True story. Um, Have so, you had the eggs with chocolate? 
Uh, he probably did. You know, I, I, I tend not to go to the tourist spots in New York, Dan. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a little, little, uh, you know, stuffy like that. Um, but, but very familiar, very familiar with Ben's rantings. He actually got a cease and desist letter, uh, from Bendis, uh, even though I don't think he ever actually addressed him as Brian, as Mr. Bendis or Brian or anything, but, but Bendis knew enough. Uh, it was like, I knew what you're getting at, old man. And Uncle Ben, you know, when when the legal fees started to mount with his his crusade against uh, the bald comic book writer, uh, he wanted to remind us that with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. 